I'm going to tell you what you need to know about the um, investor brain to be able to better understand investor behavior and hopefully uh, become better um, investors. And the good news is that you don't need to know much, actually. All right? So let's start. So the investor brain shares with um, other animals all the brain regions. So you see the grayish areas over there. And it differs primarily in the evolutionary recent uh, prefrontal, prefrontal cortex parietal. So that's the blue area over there. So metaphorically, the best way to understand so what the PFC and parietal means, the blue stuff, it's really the CEO of a brain. It's the part of your brain that is engaged when you decide which uh, action to take through assessing the consequences of each uh, potential action. So for investors, what that means, it's about assessing um, what, what, what do I expect to get? How much risk am I facing? And the key idea of this talk is that that information takes the form of anticipatory emotions, which we call in neuroscience somatic markers. Somatic means soma in Greek is your body. So it's your body telling you, telling you through increased habits, body temperature, all those things, it's your body telling you what, uh, what, what do I expect to get? How much risk am I facing? Right. So there are two kinds of somatic markers. Reward signals from imagining potential, potential gains. They are sent by a part of the emotional brain called the reward system. And threat detection signals or fear signals from imagining potential uh, losses and feeling the uncertainty. Mm? And those fear signals are sent by a part of the emotional brain called the threat detection system or fear uh, system. Right. So this is really the key idea of this talk. I would like you to understand that rational decision-making needs the emotion. The CEO of a brain cannot make a rational decision without the emotional brain telling him what to think. Okay. So this view, this idea is completely at odds with the old Cartesian view of emotion as being uh, necessarily um, disruptive. Mm. So our French philosopher uh, René Descartes uh, emotions are necessarily uh, disruptive indeed. Uh, Descartes called emotions uh, passions with a, a strong uh, French accent like mine. So, passion. Mm? And as a French, I'm uh, sad to admit that Descartes was wrong. And actually, he was really wrong. In as much as we know in neuroscience since the late uh, 90s, that the CEO of a brain cannot make a rational decision without the emotional inputs from the, uh, so from the emotional brain, that is the reward system on one hand and the fear system on the other hand. Huh? That's really the key idea of today's talk. So the first piece of evidence for this idea was provided by Bechar and colleagues in the late 90s. It was really a revolution in the behavioral sciences. 
And more recently, um, we also uh, gathered uh, field evidence. Um, on the London trading floor, researchers found that traders were more attuned to their gut feelings perform better. This is really the summary picture. You see the arrow, the, the, the red arrow. It's a wrap-up of what I've just told you. It's about so the connections from the emotional brain to the sea of a brain. This illustrates the key point that emotions are needed for rational decision-making. Let's start with the reward system. Let's ask ourselves, what keeps the gambler coming back to the tables? Well, the anticipation of reward. Right? So receiving a reward is pleasurable, hence reinforcing, and it's very important to understand that acquiring uh, food, sex, money, all this makes us feel good, and uh, our brain reminds us uh, to keep doing it. And for the brain, there's no difference. Sex, food, money, drugs, all this is exactly the same for the reward system. Okay? So, so the reward system is the region of the brain that signals potential reward opportunities to us, and the way it does it, it is through dopamine release. Dopamine is one of the key neurotransmitters of a human brain, and basically, the way the brain tells us about potential reward opportunities, it is by releasing dopamine in a deep-down nucleus called the ventral tegmental area, and then the information is projected onto the nucleus accumbens, which is a key node of the reward system, and ultimately, the information is, is sent to the CEO of the brain, the PFC. So it's very simple, actually. Now, there are three key facts about the reward system that I would like you to, to know about, because I think they're fundamental for investors. Number one, the reward system is very stubborn in the precise sense that it tends to persist. It tends to continue to, to do um, actions that were previously rewarding, but no longer rewarding. Number two, the reward system can be modulated by the CEO of the brain, the PFC. As we mature and our PFC wise up, we can learn to say no to some of the rewards. It's about modulating the, 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 rewards, uh, the reward signals. So this idea taps into the notion of self-control, right? But, 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 when the reward system is in high gear, in the sense that it has been overstimulated, by repeated exposure to rewards, then it, it's, it swims the PFC winning of costs and benefits, and that's the neurobiological foundation for the um, catch-all notion of irrational exuberance. I'm sure you've heard of oh, time, irrational exuberance. Irrational. Well, now you know what it is about. It's about the brain neurobiology, it's about neurochemistry, um, and so, yeah, it has nothing to do with the pop psychology notions of, you know, overconfidence, greed, and blah, blah, blah. No, it's about the brain neurochemistry, okay? So, let's start with fact number one. I want to explain to you fact number one about behavioral uh, persistence. Let me tell you about a canonical experiment run by uh, Skinner in um, 1948. So, it's about hungry uh, pigeons that start executing uh, repeatedly some behavioral patterns. So it's very easy with uh, pigeons to get them start doing something uh, for no apparent reason. So the animal could start picking, for example. 
And interestingly, it's a pattern, so the animal is going to start to, to, to repeat it. And Skinner, in, the, in his um, canonical experiment, what he did when the pigeon started to do that, the, the experimenter started to deliver food to the animal following a random schedule. That is, food delivery would not come every one minute, every two minutes, it would come following a, a stochastic schedule. So sometimes the animal would have to wait for a prolonged period of time and before food would eventually come, and sometimes food delivery would come shortly uh, after the animal ha um, has executed his you know, picking uh, behavioral pattern. Now the key, the key aspect of um, his experimental design was that there is temporal proximity of the behavior, so picking, and food delivery. But importantly, there was no causal relation between food delivery and the behavior. And yet, what Skinner observed, and it's a very robust uh, finding, is that the uh, animal tended to increase the likelihood of doing the behavior uh, as food delivery was, was, was provided. So this is called conditioning. And Skinner called this superstitious behavior because, because if you think about it, it's really rain uh, dancing until the rain comes, because by design, there was no causal relationship between the behavior and the reward for delivery, but again, the, the, the pigeons behaved as if there was a causal relation between its behavior and food delivery. So that's superstitious behavior. Now, to the second key uh, finding of this experiment, the maintenance of the behavior. At some point in the experiment, Skinner stopped, uh, stopped food delivery altogether, and yet the animal made plenty of attempts to obtain the reward was, that was no, no longer forthcoming. Intuitively, you would say, that's very strange. After some time, the animal should learn that it's no longer coming, right? And that's exactly what Skinner observed in a treatment in which food delivery was provided at, fixed, with, at a fixed schedule, say every two minutes. And then the animal, as you would expect, stopped doing the behavior when, you know, when the experimenter stopped providing food delivery. But in the treatment in which food delivery in the conditioning phase was stochastic, not fixed, not deterministic, then then we observe this very strange maintenance of a behavior, this behavioral persistence. So why is that interesting for investors? What does this have to do with financial investing? Well, uh, sadly, I'm sad to say a lot of analogy here. Uh, first of all, the reward system of investors work all the same. And importantly, importantly, financial markets share with Skinner's experimental design one key characteristic, namely the fact that reward delivery in the financial markets is stochastic, unless one invests in, uh, in safe bond, maybe. But otherwise, financial returns are uh, by nature administered uh, intermittently, exactly like food in, uh, in Skinner uh, experiment, right? So superstitious behavior and apparent stubbornness are to be expected in investors. Uh, and it has everything to do with brain reward system. It's about the way our, our, brain, our brain is wired. Mm -hmm. Now to fact number two. So. Um, Self-control. So here again, we're talking neurobiology. It's about, um, it's about the 
see of the brain modulating the reward signals from the emotional brain. Now, how does that work concretely? So I'm going to skip the bit of the history of, of science, the marshmallow experiment, it's quite fun. Maybe you've heard of, heard of it, my students can like it, but let's go straight into the meat here. For investors, very concretely, you want to know how to harness harness your neurobiology to protect yourself against your inner greed, all right? And um, there are two ways. Number one, the first route is direct, uh, direct inhibition. Direct inhibition means it's about the prefrontal cortex, the CEO of the brain, muting the reward uh, signals. It's about telling the emotional brain, please shut up. As simple as that. Now, it's like a muscle, the more you practice it, the better at it you become, but, 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 there's an important but. For investors, this route is limited because financial investing recruits the prefrontal cortex a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, to assess the risk-reward profiles of investments, processing all the information available in the market, etc., etc. adding the, the self-control task on top may be overkill. So, a more promising route is neuroplasticity. Uh, it's about dampening the strength of the reward signals through building smart narratives. So, better give you a concrete example. I will use the example of food um, because it talks to everybody. Uh, if my prefrontal cortex Cortex keeps telling me that this piece of cake uh, in, on the table is loaded with sugar and it's poison for my body. After a few minutes attending to this narrative, the reward signals that automatically crop up in my brain upon viewing the piece of cake will dampen. So this is what neuroplasticity means. I hope I'm being clear here that two routes to exert self-control, direct inhibition of the reward signals and neuroplasticity. All righty, so now to fact number three, perhaps the most important facts that I would like you to be aware of as investors. Uh, it's about craving. The fact that the reward system reacts more to a given reward when it has been overstimulated. So, taking drugs, driving too fast, watching erotic pictures, winning at the casino, getting good financial returns, all these activities lead to inflated anticipatory reward signals when we envision investing in a given investment opportunity. Inflated reward signals because the repeated exposure to reward sensitizes the reward system. What that means is that it reacts more to a given reward. There is more dopamine release, meaning more wanting. More wanting is exactly what we're talking about here. All right, so, and um, casinos know fact number three uh, too well. If you've ever wondered why casinos provide succulent uh, buffets at very affordable prices, now you know the answer. It's about sensitizing the reward system of recreational gamblers so that they're going to gamble more. All right, now for financial investing, why is that interesting? Because this is about money craving. It's about the, the positive feedback loop whereby getting good returns make you want more returns. Mm -hmm. 
So very quickly now, and I'll be very, very quick because it's symmetrical, let me tell you about the fear system of the brain, the way by which the brain tells us about potential danger. Uh, it's about fight or flight response when we uh, when we imagine potential losses with a uh, given in, uh, investment choice, and when also when we feel the uncertainty, this is going to um, uh, trigger uh, fear signals uh, sent by the fear system of a brain. And the way it works, so here it's really the tenth amount of dopamine um, in the case of the reward system. Serotonin release is the way by which the brain tells us about potential danger. Okay, so serotonin is released in a deep down uh, nucleus in the brain and the information is projected onto the key nodes of the fear system, amygdala and insula, and again, eventually, the information is projected onto the prefrontal cortex, the CEO of the brain, which is going to use that information to make an informed choice. Okay, so this is uh, in one uh, slide the summary of this talk. Uh, what I, I hope you, you now you intuitively understand that risk-taking in the end, it's about brain neurochemistry. Too much dopamine, you're going to take excessive risks. Too much serotonin, you're going to be too risk-averse and potentially, potentially miss out on investment opportunities. So it's a question of finding the right balance. And I will finish by just picking your brain for 10 seconds. Uh, this talk hopefully um, helps you understand the ambivalence of emotions. So ambivalence, sorry, in the French, uh, <laughs> French meaning of the term, meaning there is a positive side, a negative side. It's ambivalent, we say. And so it's very clear with uh, fear. So if we take the example of fear, um, it's uh, obvious that you don't know that too well, probably. So I that, you know, sometimes we feel that we are overwhelmed by uh, by, by our, the fear signals cropping up in our, in our brain. Now, I hope this talk has convinced you that the solution to the problem is not to simply down-regulate, meaning just, you know, try to be very Cartesian and to ignore your emotions, to control them. To I hope you understand after this talk that, no, the solution is not to mute, it's to, um, to be attuned to your somatic markers, without being overwhelmed by, by them. Uh, and in that sense, to, in my view, this is one of really the key challenges of financial investing, is precisely to understand that it's really about optimizing, optimizing emotion. Is there any evidence that the wiring of the human brain has changed over time? So the depends what we mean by that. But what I explained at the very beginning, so initially, evolutionary time, you say, oh, yes, of course, initially we were like the animals, so the blue area in the picture that I showed, prefrontal cortex parietal was absent, very reduced, and then we got this thing which, which allows us to be like Spock somehow, to be very sophisticated creatures, just, you know, educating between different options and assessing risk-reward profiles, also very sophisticated brains. So from uh, an evolutionary perspective, uh, yes, clearly. But I'm not quite sure that was the question. If it was in recent times, I would say not, not that I'm aware of. Have new technologies reduced our ability to make rational decisions? New technology, so it depends what you mean. If, um, if new technology, um, if this primarily taps into a notion of like artificial intelligence and these kind of things, 
Uh, actually, uh, the consensus in academic finance is now that it's really uh, it's man plus machine working together, so making us even more intelligent, actually. It's not really, definitely not... Um, yeah, so it's maybe, I don't know, a um, promising message, but we can definitely harness the new technology to become even more uh, intelligent. And the machine will not replace um, the human brain. So how could we overcome this gut feeling or help people we're working with uh, overcome this gut feeling? So I tried to explain that the first thing is to act to accept, to, because it's a bit scary, yes, because we can be overwhelmed by our gut feelings, but first thing is, I hope I convince you, that we should be attuned to our gut feelings, because if we are not, we cannot be fully rational in our decision-making. So, let's accept that, yes, by being attuned to our gut feelings, we are taking a risk, but, but, but the dividends are potentially big, because... Uh, I briefly mentioned you know, the, the research showing that investors who are most attuned to their gut feelings, they, they perform better. But again, it does not mean that uh, it's uh, necessary. Um, being attuned to one's gut feelings, oh, that's it, it's a solution. Of course not, because I also try to explain that, yes, sometimes we are overwhelmed by our emotions. So... We need to understand that self-control, uh, regulating the emotional inputs, it's of course a very important challenge faced by investors. But just saying René Descartes' solution is definitely not the right route for, uh, you know, for investors to really you know, uh, behave um, optimally. So last question. To avoid being overwhelmed by their emotions, should investors limit their exposure to market news? What practical steps can individual investors take, or indeed investment analysts, investment advisors, uh, to, be, uh, to prevent being overwhelmed by emotions? I think that's, an, yes, one interesting um, strategy to... Uh, for some people at least, avoid being you know, uh, too much exposed to information uh, because so there is a very well-known and robust finding which is about myopic loss aversion. So if you tend to, if you attend too frequently to, you know, attending to the performance of your portfolio and if you do that on a, you know, too regular basis, you tend to be excessively uh, risk averse. So if you want to imagine that you, you want somebody, you advise a, a client, and you want that person to be a little bit more risk-seeking, it's indeed a very smart advice to, to suggest to nudge your client into not attending too often to the information about portfolio performance, and that's indeed a, a very uh, intelligent uh, inter uh, recommendation, I would say.